of Angry Girl Music of the Indie Rock Persuasion. I'm your host, Amanda Starling, here to talk to you about all things intersectional feminism, DIY, and of course, the music. I hope you're all having a good start to the week and staying safe and healthy. I'm feeling some momentum in the air right now um, with the slew of episodes I've been recording. I usually actually record a bunch of them almost back to back just because it's fun and I get really excited. And 
with that in mind, I honestly can't wait to share all these fantastic people and their stories just lined up to talk in 2021 with each and every one of you. There's just something about connecting with people to talk about music that is just so energizing. And I can tell you that energy went up even higher after talking to this week's guests. Um, I'm joined by my longtime pal in music, Rachel Leitner, who plays in the brilliant New York-based band Nervous Dater. Rachel's been writing alongside bandmates in Nervous Dater for years, but really found a rhythm for collaborating on the band's latest record, Call in the Mess. The sophomore record dives into so many elements of just trying to exist in today's climate, from feelings of exploring social and the almost literal climate physical turbulence, and even exploring personal gender identity. Everything about this record is universal and still has those personal elements, diving deep into each of the songwriters' arcs and experiences over the last couple of years. Rachel joined this week to share more of Nervous Dater's approach to songwriting, the meaning behind some of the most powerful singles released for this record, what's ahead, and so much more. So with that, let's listen to more Nervous Dater and then hear from Rachel.
welcome Rachel to Angry Girl Music of the Indie Rock Persuasion. How are things going? Hi, thanks so much for having me. Things are going okay. They're going well. How are you? Pretty well also. Um, I'm really excited to have you on this podcast. I talked to you like a couple of years ago when I used to yeah. do the podcast on the record. So it's really awesome to have this reunion for you here where we can hang out on this new podcast. Well, not yeah. new, but you know what I mean. <laughs> No, it's so great. Your podcast is the only podcast I've ever been on. So I feel like I'm just coming home. It's great. Oh my gosh. Thanks for having me. <laughs> this is so awesome. I I have loved being able to follow your band as you have grown over the years. I think when we last talked, it was right around when Don't Be a Stranger came out. So this is really exciting to be talking to you again around yeah. the release of your second album. Um, three years. It's been three years. That's wild, right? Oh my gosh. Where does the time go? <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. I hate reminding people of time these days, but uh, yeah, it's so crazy. Oh my gosh. Um, let's, let's dig into it. Tell me about how oh, you yeah. kind of first began to play music and discover that this was something that you were passionate about and excited about. Yeah, totally. So I started playing music. Um, I think my music journey began uh, <laughs> with picking up saxophone when I was like about 12 years old. Um, I picked it because all the boys were choosing saxophone and all the girls were choosing clarinet and flute. And I wanted to like prove to the boys that I could hang or, or something. I don't know. It seems like a masculine instrument and therefore I was drawn to it. And um yeah, that kind of got me hooked right off the bat. And then when I was like 13, I picked up guitar and I had this amazing guitar teacher who um, kind of like ended up forming all of my political views, oh, <laughs> which is amazing. wild. Um, he was like a very progressive, like hippie type. Yeah. And he taught me like Nirvana songs when I was 13 and I never heard of Nirvana. So he kind of just introduced me to the world of punk and rock and uh kind of the the niche side of things and outside of saxophone jazz land but I ended up sticking with saxophone um I actually studied it in college and um yeah to this day I, I don't play nearly as much as I used to but there is some saxophone on this record which I was so stoked to get in uh <laughs> because yeah that's saxophone is is how I fell in love with music that's amazing. I love that that was your first instrument too, because it has such like a unique sound to it. I feel like sax has this way of really rounding out a song. Mm -hmm. So it's really neat to hear that you were able to add that to the new record too. Yeah, totally. No, I think saxophone and learning jazz and transcribing interviews and studying Charlie Parker like has everything to do with how I write melodies and mm -hmm. um has just really stuck with me so yeah I, I loved being able to bring it into this record and really uh lay it down on our few tracks it kind of just made some small appearances in the last record and mm -hmm. this this time we kind of got to feature it a little more although we don't have any crazy wailing jazz solos in the middle <laughs> of songs or anything but I like to kind of play the saxophone like a French horn so there's like a lot of long tones and mm -hmm. just harmonies and me making the saxophone like sound sound pretty instead of jazzy and I just I just love doing that so having that freedom to explore that side of uh, my music background on this record was really exciting mm -hmm. I love that well you mentioned Charlie Parker but were there other like um 
musicians that you were really into that you feel like kind of helped shape your taste in music or what you wanted to play as you got older? I know you said also that your teacher showed you Nirvana and stuff. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Uh, The big one, I I still don't know how I I feel about this answer, but the big one is is Weezer. Um, (laughs) I, I stole my brother's Weezer records when he got them for Christmas when I was like 13 (laughs) and that was actually why I picked up guitar was because I heard Weezer and for some reason it just like totally struck a chord with me and I had in middle school I had like um a a binder with a laminate front and I had like a collage of pictures of Rivers Cuomo that I printed out on my mom's work computer and gosh I still have to this day like my journal of me analyzing Weezer songs and breaking them down by chorus this is before I was even like playing guitar or anything just like analyzing them because I thought they were like so perfect and resonated with me so much so Weezer was probably the first like big uh influence in my uh non-saxophone rock focused uh musical career (laughs) i love this so much and the way that you analyze the music is so interesting to me because i i feel like this is something that a lot of folks start to do as they get older when they're kind of like trying to figure out how they connect to different songs and stuff especially when you become a music geek but like for you to do that when you're younger too and the way that shaped you is so cool yeah yeah it's it's really funny to look back on my little journals and like the the titles are like what makes a great pop song and like I just was thinking way too much into (laughs) it as a kid and it just kind of stuck with me this sense of like really wanting to overanalyze and make the quote-unquote perfect pop song or Something like that, yeah. <laughs> is there anything you remember from that breakdown of like a pop song back then that you still think is pretty nifty to know today? Or <laughs> oh, geez, I don't have it in front of me. Um, but I just like it. It was a lot about structure and like um, oh. a lot of structural analysis, and I would like draw out dots to kind of align the melody or like how the melody traveled as if it was on a a triple clef staff uh, because I was just learning saxophone at that time and learning to read music. And it just like felt uh, like the easiest way for it to get like kind of ingrained in my brain. And I still do that to this day. I love analyzing music Um, and I still make the same dot diagrams, but yeah, it was, it was mostly uh, just musical, observations from there I wouldn't say they influenced me I wouldn't say Weezer influenced me lyrically I think uh (laughs) yeah when but as far as as far as melody writing and rock indie rock structures they definitely had a huge impact on me yeah that's so awesome (laughs) so to kind of time travel a little bit here let's talk about how Nervous Dater kind of came together and how y'all have grown can you tell me about that yeah, totally. So I met Jan. Um, he was our original guitarist. I met him back at college when I was studying music. He was also studying music at the time, and we formed a folk band called A Fair Few. And I think we were awesome, uh, but him and I were very much <laughs> background players. I had never sang before. I was just learning to sing and learning to harmonize, and that's kind of where I got interested in singing and I started writing songs and showing them to Jan and he was like these are these are rock songs uh you should try to make 
a rock band out of this. And we kind of like always joked that we wanted to start more poppy indie rock band like Los Campesinos. And mm-hmm. um, then four years later, we kind of neglected the idea and focused on graduating. Well, mostly partying and being idiots, <laughs> but we graduated. We both moved to New York City and we started I just messaged Jan out of the blue one day. We hadn't talked in so long. And I was like, I want to start a band that sounds like Hop Along. I'm obsessed with this band, Hop Along. I know I can write songs like this, not nearly as good, but I can write (laughs) songs in this vein. And uh, he was very into it. And he kind of helped me figure out how to write songs like that and gave me feedback. And he was kind of the only person I was comfortable sharing my songs with. And then from there, uh, we actually just kind of, I think we put up, no, this is how it happened. I remember now, it's all coming back to me. Um, (laughs) Jan was in a soccer supporters group for the uh, New York Red Bulls with (laughs) Andrew Getz, who we affectionately call Rue. And uh, we went to college with him and I had never really known him in college. I knew of him. Mm -hmm. We were like at parties together and I knew he played drums and uh, he was, very he like had posted something about Hoplong or talked to Jan about it and he was like I'm so into making that kind of music let's let's seriously like please let's jam it out let's figure it out let's get together and we had this like really shitty practice space in Queens that it wasn't even our practice space it was the practice space of like a different band that I was just singing with and like uh playing keys with and we kind of hijacked that space in Queens and rode the train an hour and 15 minutes out there multiple times a week and just started playing music together. And from there he brought in Pedro, who was our original bassist. And um, he was somebody that Andrew worked at uh, Premier Studios with where he was a sound engineer in Times Square. Uh, But yeah, so that's kind of how the band developed, but we definitely evolved from there we uh met Kevin like four years ago I think now uh our original bassist Pedro had to leave because he was moving and Kevin was like I play guitar but sure I'll learn bass I like your band he was kind of like not like maybe a super fan it was was really precious but um, (laughs) we asked him to give it a shot and he just like immediately just connected with the bass and just proved to be like an incredible baseline writer and really intuitive and also an incredible songwriter. So that all said, our current lineup is a little different. We still have um, Rue and Kevin and the three of us are kind of the main songwriters, but we also have um, help from our friend, Nick, who's an incredible guitarist and has played in a bunch of bands like uh, Full Heavy and Soda Bomb. He wrote a lot of the guitar, the lead guitar parts for our record. Mm-hmm. and. Um, played with us live a few times. And then also my partner, Zach Fisher, who's in Good Looking Friends, he plays guitar with us a lot too and kind of came in and filled in on guitar, just kind of like filled in the missing spots and added some leads here. And I just love how Zach and Nick's guitar stylings and parts that they wrote just kind of like seamlessly blend together on the record. That's just like one thing looking back that I just love so much about this record. I love that. That was a long-winded answer. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you have quite the history, honestly. And it's so great to see how far you all have come as a band and the different people who've helped contribute along the way, especially for this new record. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've we had a lot of people help out on this record, especially um, our producer Lorenzo Wolf, and um, he's at Restoration Sound Studios in Brooklyn, and he is he played so many instruments on this record. Just so many, he has like a collection of really weird antique records or uh, instruments antique instruments and finds instruments in the trash and he's just constantly whipping out like a new thing he's like what about this here and uh, he's like really great at keys too so he contributed it contributed a lot to the instrumentation and the different parts on this record too that's amazing and I love that this new record in particular has such a really robust sound to it there's so much going on and it feels so rich um tell me about how you describe your sound in this record and like what all went into shaping that? Oh man, our sound, our sound is definitely different. This record, um, I think it kind of starts at how it shaped up. Like like you're saying, um, this was a, the first time that we had more than ten days to make a record, um, <laughs> and that really I feel like shows in a sense. Uh, a lot of don't be a stranger. We worked with Joe Reinhardt, which he is just like an incredible, the ultimate all-time best producer for this genre and um the problem was we just didn't have enough time with him and that was just because all of us work full-time in order to pay off student loan debt so uh this was the first time that we recorded in Brooklyn we didn't have to take off 10 days from work and travel to Philly so we had a lot more time just recording on weekends recording after work over like a six-month period I think oh wow and um, excuse me, also both Andrew and I are audio engineers and have especially been like really uh, honing our craft since the last record was recorded. So we both were a lot more vocal in uh, production in this. And Lorenzo Wolf is just like an angel and lets us try whatever we want. and. <laughs> constantly encourages us. And I think that's what like makes him such a great producer is that he was willing to indulge all our weird ideas and also tell us when our ideas were stupid, not stupid, but not working and able to be, uh, yeah, I'm trying to think how to say this. Uh, I almost, I think I forgot the original question. What makes this record different? Um, yeah, so it's a lot more rich because we have, um, we had a lot more input on this record and a lot more time. And I'm really happy with how it turned out. I kind of got to do the vocal harmonies of my dreams, uh, which is just like queen-esque vocal layering. And I hope people like it, but it's definitely on a lot of tracks. And it's just like my favorite thing in the world to do is record harmonies and just stack and stack and stack. So there's definitely a lot, it's a lot busier of a record, but I think it also gives it a sense of depth that we haven't had the time to achieve in the past. Yeah, definitely. Depth is definitely the right word and texture too, especially with the layered vocal yeah. harmonies, because if anything, it feels so um, like robust and almost like, I don't know how to describe it beyond feeling like y'all are like reaching through my headphones <laughs> in a way and just like kind of capturing my attention in a way that um, not every album does. So I thought that was really special about it. Oh, I love to hear that. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah, definitely. Um, how did you kind of approach the songwriting differently in Call in the Mess versus Don't Be a Stranger? It feels like there was a lot of thought into 
like you mentioned earlier, the way that you would like layer the instruments here, or even um, mm -hmm. the intention you might've set with your lyrics. Yeah, our songwriting process is definitely very unique because we have three writers. Um, mm -hmm. Last record, we had four writers, which was a lot of writers to fit into one record. So I think we were at a little bit more of a comfortable level this time, but I love the fact that we have, that we all write, me, Kevin and uh, Rue. I specifically like wanted to start this band with other writers because I didn't want to be the sole songwriter. Mm -hmm. um, I just, I like collaborating too much and I like hearing other people's ideas. And I feel like I'm learning when I learn other people's songs. I just, you know, I just didn't want to be the sole songwriter. So mm -hmm. that was kind of a, a focused objective that we've had since the beginning. And um, yeah, this, this record was a long time coming. <laughs> it's been, like I said, three years since we, last uh released a record and these songs have kind of been developing for three to five years because some of them are oldies that we like didn't make it to the first record but we love so much and so mm -hmm. wanted to record and reimagined how they would be presented and fell in love with all over again so there's a lot of that but as far as like the songwriting process it's actually very independent which i enjoy we we collaborate, we're super collaborative in that we write parts for each other's songs, but it's kind of a known aspect of being in this band that like the songwriting itself is very much a sacred process. And uh, Kevin will send me a voice memo of his song and it's fully fleshed out. It has all the parts, not all the parts, but it has the melody written, it has the chords written. And then we go into the practice space and figure it out and then record and same with Rue. And same with me. And I kind of love having that uh, sense of independence in our songwriting because we do collaborate, like I said, but we're super respectful of each other's songs. And we also get super excited about each other's songs. And like I said, learn from each other and learn about our own songwriting from learning each other's songs. So um, yeah, this record's different in that there's less songwriters but still three of us <laughs> uh they all still stand pretty independently and I, I i love writing like that because i think it gives us a variety of perspectives and mm -hmm. a variety of voices and uh just outlook on the world and you never know what your bandmates going through you know and i get to sing their lyrics and i'm so grateful for that and i try to talk to them before i sing their songs their melodies and understand where they're coming from and that kind of uh decides my tonal delivery and the overall intention of the song and so it's collaborative in that way but we are very respectful and independent in our songwriting i love that what's like maybe what are some maybe the best lessons you've learned from collaborating with like Kevin and Rue when it comes to songwriting? Like, what are some things they've taught you? Oh man, let's see. Uh, I just learned a lot about melody. Oh, the biggest thing is that I have learned to push my voice mm -hmm. in different directions. I would never have tried <laughs> because they sing in a totally different register. And we, we typically end up changing the key to, you know, get it in a comfortable place, but ultimately it's just like melodies and parts of my range that I would never have thought to hit 
And um, when I'm trying to learn their songs, I'm just like, oh, shit, I, I can hit that note or, oh. oh, shit, this is like where I would scream this. And that kind of gives it a, a, a texture that I would never have thought of, you know, in the delivery. So we learn a lot from each other's songs, but especially I think me as a vocalist, I learn a ton about melody and range and delivery from them. That's so awesome. And I can, I can totally see that because if anything, um, you harmonize in different ranges on this record. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty cool that you were able to kind of like challenge yourself in that way too. Yeah, totally. I think like my favorite thing about this record, my favorite, favorite, favorite thing is that we all got to sing together more. Uh, (laughs) There's like a lot, like Rue is singing again. It's very reminiscent of our first EP where he took a lot of the lead vocals and I've just like missed that a lot. Mm -hmm. And I feel like they're just there might've just not been enough room for two vocalists when we had four writers. And now we've got three writers and it's just feeling super natural. And Kevin does dual vocals with me also on the record. So yeah, that's that's like my favorite part about this record is that we got to really sing together. <laughs> it sounds so lame saying it back. <laughs> <laughs> no way, that sounds fun. And it kind of, uh, I'm sure it'll be great too whenever you go to, of course, when it's safe, perform live again too, is you'll kind of have that experience of being able to sing together on a stage at that point too and kind of amplify each other in that way. Yeah, exactly. Oh my God, I can't wait. We just played music <laughs> together for the first time in nine months. Uh, two weekends ago, we were shooting a music video for Tim Foyle Hat, and yeah. uh, it was the first time we've gotten together since March. Oh it's my gosh, so crazy! Um, but we just like haven't wanted to. We didn't want to risk it, and mm-hmm. uh, at least with the music video, we were outside the whole time, so we felt it gave us an excuse to play music outside, which is the only condition in which we're comfortable playing music together right now. So yeah, I'm so stoked to play these songs live. A few of them we've um, we played live while on tour and just kind of tried them out and uh yeah I just can't wait to kind of take a different approach to it now that we have it on the record and figure out how to best present it live because it's it's gonna be really exciting yeah yeah well I'm glad y'all are being safe and if anything I like (laughs) I got my big craving for live music again actually listening to this record (laughs) because it was like and, and I've been doing so well about suppressing that since last March But it was one of those things where (laughs) this is hilarious to actually think about. So (laughs) the first morning that I was out listening to this record, I was walking my dogs and I'm pretty sure that I I have a busy road nearby that I walk my dogs along at one point and I the dog was stopping to use the restroom and I literally was just like dancing while waiting. And I completely forgot that there were like cars passing by and seeing me <laughs> dance on this like busy street. And I'm just kind of like, I got to get it out somehow. <laughs> That's amazing. I love that so much. And I, I love your dogs. That picture you tweeted was like, it, it made my life. I love dogs so much. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad. Yeah. If anything, it's like, I, I let them play kind of music critic with me and they can, they like the high energy stuff. So they're definitely fans of this new record. Well, their review, their review is the only thing that matters in my book. So as long as they approve, I am happy. I don't care what Hitchfork has to sit down. Only a little. Only a little. Who knows if that'll even happen? Uh, yeah, not worrying about reviews, only worrying about dog reviews. They're the best ones anyway, honestly. My favorite Absolutely. thing is. 
My favorite thing has been when Bear gets the zoomies while I'm playing music. It's so freaking cute. Um, the best one was definitely when I put on Andrew WK one time. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> Ready to party. Yes, always. <laughs> so cute. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah, if anything, I feel like your record in some aspects made me want to party because I mean the times that I've seen you live have been at fest and that's when I'm like at Ooh. my peak, peak point of joy. We're and- at our peak too. <laughs> so if anything, I'm just like, it took me back to that place for a moment listening to this new record where I'm just like, Ooh, I miss those. I miss those feels, but at least like right now I can live in that moment listening to this record. So uh, to me, that is a gift in itself. <laughs> oh, that makes me happy. I, anything that can remind you of fest. That's, that's great. Uh, fest vibes all around that. Those are the, the good days. <laughs> Oh gosh, I hope we get to return to them someday soon. Same, same. Um, yeah, I really just love everything that you're doing with this record. One of the ways it was initially presented to me when I was learning about it was that um, part of the theme of this record is kind of like you all unpacking in your perspective, kind of the modern American experience. And mm-hmm. just the different things that you all go through, how it can be a little bit messy, exhausting, expensive, definitely violent. <laughs> um, yeah. Can you talk about what kind of motivated you all to kind of explore some of this? Was it just personal to you or how did that come out? Yeah, I think I think it ranges. A lot of it is personal and um, those those elements are definitely reflected in a lot of the songs, but a lot of it is just like the state of the world. But that said, um, we we recorded this pre-quarantine. We finished this this record. We've been sitting on it for for over a year now, um, which is just part of the process. I've learned. Yeah. But yeah, we we recorded this pre-quarantine, pre-COVID. But um, a lot of it was written in. I know we released "Don't Be a Stranger" in 2017, but by the time we released it in 2017, we had already locked down the track. So a lot of this was written in 2016 and a lot was, all of it was written in the first, the first term of Trump. And Mm -hmm. so much of that frustration and that anger and that feeling of helplessness, I think is reflected in this lyrically in this record. Um, Call in the mess itself I don't want people to interpret it as like a very passive, like, eh, somebody will take care of it, call in the mess. It's more of written from the perspective of the wrongdoers and the powers that be and that they come in, destroy shit, wreck everything for everyone, specifically Trump and just the American government, and then just phone it in and don't do anything to solve the issues after in the wake of the chaos that they've created. And so in a way, the record title is kind of this like uh, blase, like eh, call in the mess. And a lot of it also has to do with apathy and just feeling like you don't have the power to fix what these people fucked up. Like, mm-hmm. oh man, I'm getting angry. <laughs> no, I'm not getting angry, <laughs> but I'm getting passionate. Uh, you don't have the power or the energy to fix what the powers that be have totally fucked up and feeling helpless in that and wanting to do something. And um, yeah, so it's definitely, the times are definitely reflected in the lyrics, maybe not COVID and quarantine times, but the general American 
sentiment, I believe, the majority American sentiment of the past four years so, mm-hmm. is a little bit reflected in uh, this record, at least from the vantage point of our perspective. Yeah, it's so interesting to me that you kind of have um, been able to kind of convey these perspectives because a lot of it, I feel like you, as much as you're kind of discussing the perspectives of these awful people that have run our country into the ground even further than it was before that, Um, but also um, I feel like there's also this energy to it of like, um, you all look like emotionally processing it. Like, I mean, there's some almost apocalyptic lyrics within some aspects of the song is too, where it's like, you know, just (laughs) flood all the streets, bring on the bugs, all of it. Bring on the bugs. I love that. Exactly. Like all of it. I'm just kind of like, I've had those days where I process those feelings and I'm just kind of, for me, it was kind of just refreshing to be like, okay, I'm not the only one who's been just been like, just end the world already. Just let's just be done with the shit. Exactly. And we don't want to, we don't want to come off as like doomsdayers or anything, but you know, there's just, I feel like music is just the chance to writing music is the chance to scream about what's bothering you and what feels out of your control, at least Mm -hmm. from my perspective and the world, as we know it today, especially the, the American life is just so fucked. And sometimes like we can do independent actions to make the world better. We can support mutual aid funds. We can support like reparations funds and everything and advocate for those who need advocated for. But sometimes you just want to scream about how fucking stupid and unfair it is and just vent that frustration Mm -hmm. and yeah a lot of that is is definitely captured in this record it's healthy to be able to get that out of your system and a lot of us don't have the words to be able to articulate that so to hear it in a song just kind of that to me that removed some of like the tension from me in that sense of like I love that like ah okay okay I feel heard I feel acknowledged I'm going to have my day sometimes where it's like, I'm ready to go up to bat and just like fight for what's important to me. But I'm also going to have those days where I'm just kind of like, just, just come up May. I'm, I'm tired. kind of thing. And I like that this yeah. record has a little bit of everything, you know? Oh, well, I'm, I'm glad you can relate. And I'm glad it's a sort it's an outlet in a way. Yeah. I mean, I know that songs like tinfoil hat, it's kind of, I've heard it referred to as like the conspiracy theory anthem. <laughs> and, I, and I think that's awesome. Um, but I think in some aspects, I think that's another song where it's like, I mentally connected to this deeply. The whole idea of like going off the grid, you won't know me anymore. I literally <laughs> did that where I just basically barely went on Facebook for like a year. And that felt so yeah. good because I had to just get away from everything. And I, and it was the conspiracy theories that I was just like, I can't handle this and influx of all that stuff so it's interesting to me to have a song that kind of was like relatable but also like slightly in the perspective of these people (laughs) (laughs) no I love that yeah Andrew uh, Rue wrote that song and it's like one of my favorite songs on the record it's 
by far my favorite song to sing because again we get to sing together and I just get yeah. to be back, backup vocals which I'm like oh I love this I, and I get <laughs> to play a little I get to play a little lead guitar because I'm not focusing on uh backup vocals I don't play the solo that was uh, Zach Fisher but uh yeah that song I I love the lyrics and I love the sentiment of that song of just being totally over it and over the world and wanting to disappear and tying in aliens is just like the most rude thing to do because he yes. loves alien culture and like <laughs> and alien culture that's probably not a thing but <laughs> he loves conspiracy theories and um the sample that's used in the song is actually um art bell from the show oh my god i might have to google this real quick uh sorry <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to figure out where this sample is from. I should know that, but um, eh, I'll get back to you on that. Googling, Googling is not proving successful, but <laughs> there's a great sample in that of um, from Art Bell of a guy trying to fly his little plane into Area 51. That's what like, <laughs> a weird radio sample is. And he yeah. called into radio show with art bell and was like this is what i'm doing i'm flying into area 51 and art bell's like that's that's not a good idea don't do that <laughs> and it's just such a funny back and forth and rue pulled that sample and i was just like this is perfect we must include it in the song and he, he yeah rue has such a really unique sense of songwriting and i love playing his songs same with kevin yeah I love that. I love the energy that's in that song too. That was one of those mm -hmm. ones where it's like, I felt invigorated listening to the record. I'm like, oh my God, I could go run around my block <laughs> three times right now and feel okay about it. Kind of thing. Yes. Just because the energy you all exude in there, it felt live and it felt real. Amazing. Thanks. Oh gosh. It was so much fun. Um, of course, the other songs that I'm like excited to talk about are actually the ones that are a lot more um, slowed down and like thought provoking in a sense. Like um, when y'all dropped Middle Child, I was just completely <laughs> mind blown by it because it has this really loud, beautiful opening, but you don't hold back on talking about really important things like identity and gender and reassessing like who you are and what that means through relationships and interactions and such um can you talk about what it was like putting together middle child and expressing that yeah totally no I'm just thank you for your kind words about the song that makes me <laughs> so happy um yeah middle child was oh my gosh I was in a very strange not great place when I wrote that song I had like just lost my job I was dog walking full time. Uh, I was a wag walker. So just like living by the app, trying to like hang out with dogs, which hanging out with dogs was like the best. And I missed that job <laughs> every day of my life. But that said, it paid zero. And I had been working in the music industry before and writing songs for a living. And it was my dream job. And then the company just shut down its uh, East Coast branch and I got laid off and I was in a horrible place. But um, I was dog sitting um, for a friend of a friend, some stranger, and they had a piano in their house. And I just like hadn't touched the piano in many moons, at least not like an actual piano. And I just kind of, during my week stay at the house while I was dog sitting, just kind of chipped away slowly at that song. Mm -hmm. And that song, yeah, like you said, it's, it's very much about gender identity. I think, uh, it 
comes from a place that's very familiar to anybody who's listened to Nervous Dater songs before. And that's the place of constantly feeling like an imposter and uh, very much dealing with imposter syndrome on a daily basis in every aspect of your life. And um, that song is a lot about me seeing the people around me come out, a lot of people around me, a lot of artists that I respected, a lot of friends come out as non-binary, just kind of observing that for a few years and seeing how they so gracefully uh, just fell into this new idea, not fell into, but transitioned into this new identity that felt so comfortable to them and the sense of like liberation that they were experiencing from it. And I was just kind of being like jealous of it. And for some reason, I just never really, I, I always knew I wasn't a girl, but I never thought of myself as non-binary. I just kind of thought of myself as other. I didn't put a name to it. And I've always was kind of under the impression of like, I don't need to put a name to it. It's fine. I am who I am. But I think I didn't realize that putting a name to it could be so freeing mm-hmm. and just saying like, yeah, you've known you're not a girl for a long time. Uh, this is like a safe, a safe place to identify, a safe uh, role to take on, a safe place to view yourself from. And um, that said, it didn't come without me being extremely self-conscious of taking on the identity itself and taking on the name non-binary. And uh, I think I never felt cool enough to be queer. <laughs> that sounds so ridiculous, but I just like constantly felt like an imposter and that nobody would believe me if I was queer, even though I dress masculine half 75% of the time. I just, I never, it took me a long time to feel safe in identifying as something other than other, if that makes sense. But mm-hmm. yeah, a lot of, this song, like the first line is not sure if I'm doing this thing right. My brain and my body constantly fight. And mm-hmm. that's a specific reference to me not knowing what I should do about my pronouns. Not because I just, I didn't want to change them because personally, this is just me and it's totally different for every person. Pronouns, um, I, I just am kind of like oblivious to. I'm, I'm fine with she, I go by she, they. And um I didn't want to change my pronouns from she. I didn't want to solely go by they, even though that's pretty much the most preferred. But, you know, it's it's a matter of the individual's comfort level of mm-hmm. addressing this. And my comfort level is that I am comfortable being called she, referred to as she. And I just didn't know if I didn't change my pronouns, if I wouldn't be officially non-binary and didn't know if that was like holding me back I just legitimately didn't know how the social cues worked how the how it worked and I was confused and in one sense I felt so freed and in the other sense I felt so self-conscious about like moving to this identity but actually like the first time I ever posted online I've said it out loud a million times to friends and family that I'm non-binary but the first time I posted online was with middle child and I edited that post seven times because I was still so self-conscious about how it would be perceived if I was using the correct terminology if anybody would judge me for not changing my pronouns but like what it comes down to is I could sleep well at night 
with uh it out there that like no I'm not a front woman Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm I'm not a woman this is just who I am and non-binary happens to be the most fitting label for that and I've really I'm starting to learn to feel safe in that and uh yeah that's what that's a lot about a lot of what middle child is about I love that so much and the way that you shared it because ultimately I think with the age of social media and how much people feel like it's their place to kind of dictate identity. It's your, your fears and your reservations about sharing that makes sense because it's a lot easier sometimes to share that information with people who are close to you because they can either have those conversations with you that help you feel um, embraced or, you know, educated on different things. Mm -hmm. And it's a lot safer to have that conversation face-to-face than on the internet where unfortunately people can be assholes. (laughs) And so like for you to be able to share your experience verbally, I think sometimes can feel a little bit easier and for you to like share that through a song too. It's got to be a a special kind of release too, because it's, you're able to kind of share your perspective in a way that, and it really in a language that means something to you, music. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'm so much better at expressing myself in songs than I am uh, socially and (laughs) verbally in general. So yeah, I hope people can kind of forgive the lack of detail that I provided in um, the press of the song because I, you know, (laughs) like it's, it's something personal to me and I'm totally like, sure the the world should know that or can know that I'm not binary and I'm comfortable with that but like mm-hmm. the details of it I, I just like I'm a very solo person <laughs> I don't know <laughs> but I love talking to you this is so comfortable thank you for making me feel comfortable <laughs> to talk about this I'm so glad honestly that's one of the number one things I strive for during this podcast is making sure people feel comfortable share what oh, they want to so share right. yeah. and you know if there's shit you don't want to share that's what editing's for you know and uh <laughs> no I, I, I'm so glad and I'm sure that there are a lot of people out there who have a very similar if not exact experience that you're describing here about um your gender identity and stuff because I think a lot of people especially through the pandemic have kind of realized that you know, gender and gender presentation can be fluid. You can feel something one day and feel something different the other, and that's okay. Or if you want to use like, you know, two sets of pronouns or one set of pronouns, whatever, it's fine. Embrace yourself. (laughs) So I I think it's so great that you're sharing your perspective because it's one that I think we should talk about more often, you know? (laughs) Yeah, totally. No. And I, I, I hate that I'm hesitant to even talk about it, but I'm just like, I'm so not on social media and I just never talk about it. It's just one of those things where like, I came out to my family and they're like, oh, we know. (laughs) (laughs) Best response you could get. (laughs) That's like kind of like what middle child is about is how my mom was one of the aspects, one of the lines about my mom telling me that I had to wear a shirt when I was a kid because my brother's didn't have to wear shirts and I didn't understand. So she was like, oh, don't worry. I I know. And it's just one of those things that you don't prepare yourself to come out to uh, Twitter, but you're, I've already like everybody in my life knows. So it's just like, yeah, one of those things I didn't totally think through. And I was really nervous about for this record, but I'm so glad to hear from you that it's like coming through in the song and it feels 
slightly relatable if, if that's what you're saying. So that makes extremely relatable. Thank I mean, <laughs> I, I feel like you have this way of being able to make something like um, gender identity, extremely relatable, literally the line about mom says, I can't take off my shirt. <laughs> I was just kind of like, oh my gosh, not only is this great for explaining what it's like kind of feeling non-binary, but also it's like, that's a great conversation when it comes to like gender roles and dynamics that we're kind of forced to live within too. Yeah. Cause it's like, it totally sucks that, you know, <laughs> guys get to go topless, but women can't. And like I know, anybody I know. who frankly has breasts, it doesn't make sense. I've complained about this so much in the tour van. Yes. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. I'm just like, I mean, that's a whole other conversation, I feel like, to some extent. But it's just like, I I just love the way that this song just unpacks and kind of compares those aspects of things at times. Yeah, I feel like Middle Child's going to be, continue to be a great song to have that conversation on, especially with, it's it's spreading for sure. (laughs) Thanks. Um, another song that I, I think I connected with pretty well also was turn them ourselves in the grave. Uh, it's, a, it's a mouthful of a title, huh? It is. It is. <laughs> I just slow down. So that way I didn't like accidentally start switching up words there, but it's a great song. I Thanks. particularly like that main kind of chorus of the sweet, sweet revenge. I long for you again, even though last time didn't go so well. I'm like, shit. Shit, I feel called out right now. <laughs> yes. No, I'm so glad Beautiful. you like this song. <laughs> yeah, Kevin wrote that. Kevin Cunningham. Uh, Kevin's like our resident poet. He's such a good writer. He writes for a living. He's such a good writer. And singing his lyrics, I just like, this sounds shitty, but I I, I like, I, I'm very... Um, amused by the fact that people might think that I wrote them because they're so good and I'm like I could never write these kinds of lyrics they're genius and (laughs) Kevin's um songwriting yeah in general musically is just amazing and he has a way of just like really putting things into a perspective that I would never have considered and taking on the voice of the bystander and just uh that song itself is just about again frustration with the world it's 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 a lot about global warming and climate change and how helpless we feel in in that and again one of those things that you just want to like scream into the void about but you can like reduce your own carbon emissions and compost and recycle and all that but you know you're not making that big of a dent because it's these huge like top 10 companies that produce mm-hmm. all the gas emissions and you can't do it. You can't change how they operate. And it's that feeling of helplessness that I feel like he's expressed in that and the kind of like giving up of let, uh, let the fish in the ocean uh, flood all the streets. And it's just a sense of the apocalypse, like he said, and, mm-hmm. and everything. I, I feel like the past four years, it's just felt like the world has been ending and it's hard to escape that and it's hard to have daily conversations about that without feeling like a rambling lunatic to your co-workers when you're talking about it or your friends <laughs> when you're talking about it so putting yeah. it into song and being able to scream about it and put a melody to it is just super cathartic and I, I love singing that song it's it's definitely one of my favorites on the record yeah cathartic is definitely the right word for it because 
if anything, kind of like what you're, what you were saying there about, you know, having those conversations and such, like, I feel like there, you find that there are select people in your life that you can have those meaningful conversations with, and it's not going to make you feel like a little bit loony for it. So to kind of have that articulated through the song, it's just, it's another form of validation for these perspectives, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. That. And like, when you have those conversations with your peers, it's just like, how does it end? You're just saying like, well, we can't do anything. Let's move on to the next topic. And uh, I mean, of course there's great dialogues that can come out of it, but sure. yeah. So we're just like putting it, putting it into song format. So you could just scream about it, get it out of your system and be done with it because there's only so much you can change. And uh, there's kind of a relief and peace in accepting that you're doing the best to your ability, but being able to yell about the things that are out of your control. Yes. Yeah. I think sometimes you need that reminder too. That's like, you're doing your best. It's all good. (laughs) I'm kind of curious, is there something that you've been doing for yourself maybe over the last year or so that kind of gives you that feeling of like, okay, I'm doing okay. Oh man. Um, let's see. It's, it's so funny. Cause in a way I want to say like work, work has given me some, actually I'm going to start this all over. Let me think. No <laughs> worries. The question. Yeah. Is there something that like you've been kind of doing for yourself? That's kind of made you feel like this is okay. I'm doing my best and I'm okay. It's so funny. Cause I'm like, is there something like that? <laughs> it's, it's like, <laughs> I mean, playing music is always going to be my outlet. Um, I actually haven't been playing as much, writing as much music as I have been in the past because my work has kind of taken over my life and maybe I'm just totally brainwashed by capitalistic society, but like having a steady job that I actually like kind of enjoy, which is editing podcasts and audio engineering podcasts has actually kind of given me a slight sense of purpose outside of music Mm -hmm. um which I didn't think I'd ever have and I love music and it will always be my first and foremost love but enjoying my enjoying a job that happens to be able to uh assist me in paying my insane amount of student loan debt (laughs) that's the thing I have to have a job I have no choice I have to have a job I have way too much debt Mm -hmm. but uh I started working on podcasts and that has been like just it's been a whole new creative outlet and dealing with audio that's not music and I've just like been learning a ton and I enjoy storytelling and I just kind of like love every aspect of it but aside from work and I shouldn't be saying work gives me purpose that's that's crazy but (laughs) it's it's truly become something I I enjoy doing um but aside from that meditation I have been meditating twice it's only twice a week I need to do it more but meditating twice a week is just like, has totally changed my life. I've been doing it for the past year and uh, I do it in the mornings. And that's like when I feel most in control Mm -hmm. of my life and (laughs) my body and everything. It just, it really helps with disassociation, which is something that I experience a lot. And I actually talk about in our song, Farm Song, Mm -hmm. um, a lot about it. And it really, really kind of helps just ground me and uh, focus on myself and find find my center, as they say. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's been my, at least my best lifestyle hack of the past uh, few years. 
That's awesome. I'm glad you're doing that stuff for yourself because it's really important to kind of like find that thing that's going to, you know, either help you kind of feel centered, <laughs> like you're talking about, but also just yeah. kind of give you that little bit of reprieve and stuff. Like I, what you talked about with your day job, I go through the exact same thing. I'm a, I'm a software designer. Basically it's a simple way to describe my job. Nice. And like, it's really yeah. fun. And it's weird for me to say that I like really love my job and it's fun. Right. And like, I don't mind spending eight hours a day doing this thing. Cause it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's a cool, it's a cool job. Not everybody gets to have a really cool, fun job, but I'm really happy I do. So like, I can relate to you in that sense for sure. Yeah. Exactly. But, uh, but yeah. Well, I'm glad that you're able to kind of do these things for yourself. And that's super important. Um, yeah. Other than that, it's just my cats that keep me going. It's my cats. <laughs> yes. Honestly, pets save everything. My Yeah. And other people's dogs. Pictures of other people's <laughs> dogs. <laughs> it's so good, right? Like, yeah. I my dogs are my link to sanity at this point. Like, we yeah. go on our walk every morning. I put on new music like your record. I've been listening to that on my dog walks lately. And it's been like, that's my moment of kind of peace of being able to like, listen to a really great record and be strolling with the fresh air and the dogs. And it's so good. And I'm just glad that your record was able to be like that, that nice grounding bit lately. Yeah, totally. That's amazing. Thank you so much for listening. Yeah, for sure. I'm it and saying kind things about it. You're like the first person I've really talked to about it who's heard it. So, <laughs> oh my gosh! Well, I'm outside glad of our my immediate team. You know, <laughs> I'm glad to be one of those first people. That's that's super exciting. And this record, I could talk about forever, honestly, for just like oh. how much it has kind of just let loose a lot of energy. I felt for a while. So that's so wonderful. Um, I'm kind of curious, like, do you have a favorite track on the record or anything that any one song on the record? Like, I'm really excited about this one. I think my favorite song on the record, it's, uh, it's going to be our third single. It's called farm song mm-hmm. and it's kind of turned into this weird, like four and a half minute long epic <laughs> that <laughs> I did not intend. And um our producer Lorenzo Wolf played slide guitar on it and just kind of made my like country dreams come true I've never written like I've written folk songs before but this felt like a country song and it was also the first song that I wrote in open d which I never used that tuning ever and how a country song came out of that emo tuning I don't know uh I guess not emo punkish but either way that song it's very close to my heart I think it's the most uh like let's see open open mm-hmm. I am most vulnerable I am on the record even aside from middle child and I'm talking about my social anxiety and being in debt and not being able to afford medication and going through withdrawal and disassociation just so many themes are covered in that song and then like three quarters of the way, maybe it's halfway through, there's just like this huge, random, fast, energetic, instrumental punk break. And I think um, just the dynamic journeys that that song takes me on makes me extremely happy. And we got to do a lot of fun things production wise on that song that I've never tried before because Nervous Dater has never recorded a country song. Not that it's country. But you know what I mean, like a country vibes kind of song. And, mildly um, twangy. <laughs> mildly twangy. That's a great way to put it. Yeah. And 
I, I always think back to like when I first presented it to the band and I was, we were in the practice space and I was telling Rue, I was like, you know, it's a, it's a farm beat. It's a farm beat. Just play a farm beat on the drums, which is the most vague, unhelpful thing I could have told him ever. And he just was like, oh, like this. And it just clicked immediately. Um, and I think just like how that song came together in the arrangement and how it came together production wise and thematically, it's just, I think it's probably the most, the song closest to my heart on this record. Oh, I love it. I loved Farm Song as well. So I'm very excited for everybody to hear that one as yeah. well as the whole record. Like being able to talk to you ahead of time. I'm just like the hype level just keeps going up. <laughs> yes, I love it. Um, what's something you really want your listeners to get out of listening to Call in the Mist? Hmm. That's such a good question. Uh, I'm going to think this one out. <laughs> I think, I think I want our listeners to use this as a chance to vent mm -hmm. and to feel anger and frustration that just isn't acceptable to express in their everyday lives. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, if they can dance, dance around their rooms at home and scream to this, I feel like I've like uh, contributed some small part of therapy to our fans or something, you know, like yes. I want it to be used as a, as a coping mechanism because it, this whole record is about how shit is just really hard right now. And it's, it's hard to exist mm -hmm. in the state of the U S specifically in the state of our country and just in general modern times. And I, I would love for our listeners just to kind of use it as, um, not anger management, but a way <laughs> means of venting and expressing frustration mm -hmm. while expressing it to major chord progressions and happy <laughs> tone music musically, like tonally, it feels up upbeat and uplifting. And yet the lyrics are so depressing and kind of make you uh, relate to the helplessness of them. So mm -hmm. I'm hoping that it's going to be cathartic to a few people and can kind of act as a stress management tool in a way. Definitely <laughs> did that for me. So Great. I'm stoked for it to reach more people. <laughs> love that. Love that. Um, I know you've shared some really cool, interesting things that I personally didn't know about Nervous Dater, like the three songwriters and such, but like, I'm curious, what's maybe something you want people to know about you as a band that maybe they don't know? Hmm. Let's see. Um, uh, we're old. <laughs> no, that's not it. Uh, <laughs> no, we, we feel very, it, it's hard to say we feel very old. Uh, I mean, we're all in our thirties, but, um, I feel like the demographic is a, a little bit younger, uh, that's, that's totally not it though. That's just the first thing that comes to mind. Um, <laughs> can you repeat the question while I think? Yeah. What's something you want people to know about you as a band that maybe they don't know? Um, okay. Let's see. Do you mind if I think for a second? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I'm gonna take a sip of water while I think. <laughs> 
Let's see. I think, I think like the main thing I want people to know is that we have three writers and if you don't connect to that one song that I wrote, maybe you'll connect to a song that Rue wrote, or maybe you'll connect to a song that Kevin wrote. Um, I just like, we've kind of never put it out in the open that there are so many multiple writers in this band. And we've, I've personally been like falsely attributed for a lot of lyrics that my bandmates wrote. Um, and I'm so proud of them and their songwriting. And I think, our songwriting approach is uh, really unique and presents so many, like I said, so many different perspectives that I just kind of want people to know that like there, there's a lot of different vantage points to uh, approach our songs with. And um, yeah, but what it comes down to is that we are such a tight group of friends. <laughs> We're so tight. We've been a band together. We've been a band for, six years now and um I've known them for even longer than that and our friendships always come first and we have all lived together at some point you know like we're we're super tight and I think that's what kind of ties together our group dynamics and the multiple perspectives is that we know each other so well that we can relate to each other's songs so much mm -hmm. but at the same time we're trying to present this cohesive sound but I, I just want people to know that like there are a lot of different voices being heard on this record, not just mine. Yeah, I love that. It's really well said because you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think so. Because like if anything, it's really important to kind of highlight that. And like, I think that's part of what makes it so special is because you have three writers, but you all are very like cohesive and kind of consistent in thought. And that that can be attributed yeah. to your close relationship as totally. like bandmates and friends. So that's like really cool thing to kind of think about now going back and listening to the record again. Yeah. I'm, I'm so glad to hear that. Yeah. I just, I really like wanted to make a point to, to shine the spotlight on Rue and Kev for this record, because I think they're, I respect them so much as songwriters so much and they respect me and they've given me, the privilege of singing their songs. And I'm so grateful for that. So I just, I just really wanted to highlight that with this record. And we put songwriting um, credits under the lyrics for this record, which is something we've never done before. So yeah, I just want everybody to know how talented my bandmates are. <laughs> yeah, y'all are definitely talented. That's for sure. <laughs> Thanks. I appreciate that. Of course. I'm kind of hoping that 2021 is less of a wash than 2020 was. Oof, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. I know you've obviously got this record dropping, but are there any other cool things that you all would like to be able to accomplish over the next year or so as a band? Yeah, we definitely want to write another record. <laughs> we want to write LP3 or an EP or something because we took our sweet time with this record and it was torture <laughs> it was so hard to draw this process out for as long as we did and to sit on this record and overanalyze this record for mm -hmm. over a year was just like one of the most stress inducing experiences I've ever had that all said Jake and counterintuitive have been ex just overwhelmingly amazing during this whole process and we knew we had to wait a year and sit on this record but I think we just like 
didn't totally factor that into us waiting two years to record the record. Uh, so yeah, moving forward, we definitely want to get on, get on it. We're already sending demos back and forth to each other and just like get into the studio when it's safe and mm-hmm. get a record out. Um, hopefully 20 early 2022, if not sooner, but we'll cool. see. I love the sound of that. I love that you all are excited and swapping music already. That's fantastic to hear. Yeah, totally. And yes, I hardly, I didn't mention Jake at all until right now. (laughs) Shout out to Jake and Counterintuitive Records for putting up with our bullshit and our slow timing of delivery and just being (laughs) the most supportive people in the world because uh, we wouldn't have been able to pull this off without them. I love that. That's awesome. It's great when you have a great team behind you that can help make it all happen. We're super lucky. That's awesome. Okay. So the final question we always ask at the end of the interview is if you could play a show with any three bands, they can be currently active or you can bring them back from the dead. Who do you want to play a show with? Oh man. My number one is Hopalong. Yes. (laughs) We played a (laughs) show with them before, but we, we, the biggest show we've ever played was at union transfer with Hopalong. And I Uh cannot believe that was like a fever dream. We drove to Canada the next day to play, um, to play, oh my gosh, the festival that's up there. Pooza? Anyway, Pooza, wow, my brain, <laughs> my brain isn't thinking Canadian right now. Um, <laughs> yeah, we played a show with them at Union Transfer. It was the biggest show we've ever played and drove to Canada the, the next day and we're so tour tired. And there's just some nights where I like wake up and out of a dead sleep and I'm like, <sighs> I wish I could relive that show again and enjoy it so much more because I'm not so tired. And (laughs) yeah, I do anything to play with them again. They're by far the biggest influence on my songwriting. Um, Francis Quinlan is my, like one of my favorite songwriters of all time. So yes, definitely Hoplon. So (laughs) number one, Mm -hmm. I think um, this is so funny. Number two is probably Cayetana for me. Yes. Uh, not that they're they're not playing together anymore but they were also just like them and Hopalong are just two bands that if if they hadn't existed we wouldn't exist and I looked up to them so much and they influenced me in so many different ways and kind of showed me that uh, non-male vocalists have a place in this type of music and uh, yeah, them. And then, you know what? I'll just give spot number three to Weezer because <laughs> <laughs> because I also probably wouldn't be playing music at all or guitar without them. And still have a soft, just a soft spot in my heart for, for Weezer. Um, that's definitely, they're up there. So yeah, Hopalong, Cayetana, Weezer. My bandmates are probably going to disagree with me entirely, but that's my personal opinion. That's okay. We can sometime have the full band on for an episode (laughs) and then y'all can hash it out together. Um, Yeah, Battle Royale. Yeah, exactly. But no, I I like that. I love all of your picks because I know for sure this podcast wouldn't exist without bands like Hopalong and Kaitana for sure. Like they they majorly motivated me to do this whole thing to begin with. And then like it's it's they're just so important and then like let's be real here everybody has a place in their heart for weezer and if you <laughs> if you if you say otherwise you're freaking lying 
Right. I just, I just always look back on like the Pinkerton lyrics and Pinkerton's like my favorite record of all time. And I'm like, oh, they're so cringy and horrible and so bad, but the songwriting and the structure and the melodies, I just, I, I don't know if I would be doing what I'm doing without having exactly. those in my life at 13 and <laughs> jotting those down in my dream journal. <laughs> it was the right time, honestly. Yeah. Like we, we all had that moment. <laughs> particularly as like middle schoolers and teenagers in general, it hit right for that time in our lives. For exactly. Sure. exactly. <laughs> oh my gosh, Rachel, it's been such a blast catching up with you and talking it's about this record. Um, where- so much for having me. You're so welcome. Where can everybody um, keep up with Nervous Dater on the internet and find all your music? Oh yeah, our music is all on Bandcamp. Uh, that's the first place I would direct anyone to go. We're also on Spotify, uh, but encourage people to stream there even though they're evil because <laughs> it helps us as a band. But yes, we are on Bandcamp. We are pay what you want. Um, so hopefully people can easily access that. Um, you can also keep up with us on Twitter and Instagram. I post there occasionally when I'm told to (laughs) because I'm so bad at keeping up with it but that said uh record updates and all that fun stuff um uh remote streaming sessions all that stuff will be updated there awesome well thanks so much for hanging out Rachel everybody please be sure to listen to call in the mess and support nervous dater they're awesome
You just heard Nervous Dater. Thank you so much to Rachel for hanging out and sharing the stories of really what shaped Call in the Mess. Please be sure to stream and support Nervous Dater. Call in the Mess is available on Friday, February 26th, everywhere through Counterintuitive Records. That's it for this week, but you can always keep up with Angry Girl Music of the Indie Rock Persuasion online. Find episodes, links, articles, and more at angrygirlmusic.com. Get in touch with me through email at angrygirlmusic at gmail.com or on Twitter and Instagram at at angrygirlmusic. If you're interested in being a guest on the pod, reach out and let's chat about what you're working on. Pledge your support for Angry Girl Music of the Indie Rock Persuasion on Patreon at patreon.com slash angrygirlmusic. Special thanks to our monthly patrons Molly O'Malley, Kendra Mamula, Carly Commando, John Kitsy, Kitz Miller, Henderson Cole, and Erica Fries. Thanks for listening. Until next time, stay angry and stay creative. Bye for now. I don't deserve anything Feeling like a fraud at my job Cause I faked my way Into every good thing That's ever happened to me Write a happy song Cause I don't want to mope today Try to sing along But the thoughts, they don't go away I don't say the worst things To make